<clears throat> well, good morning. Children may be dismissed for Children's Church. It's going to be one of those mornings. I'm getting out my props here because we're going to review. And you're going to have to help me because... I need some help this morning. Okay. We did survive elk hunting barely, and I'll tell a little story on that a little bit later. Have to bear with me because I feel like I'm shot. I learned some things this week. Um, One of them is that I am old. (laughs) And... uh, I learned that Don gets around pretty good for an old guy. I already knew he was old, but he does. He does pretty good for an old guy. Well, we're going to go on in our series on breaking the chains. We have been talking about this for several weeks now. I'm breaking the chains of addiction. And I started with this, and I want to go back and review just so we know why we're doing this. Because as I said, that there have been people in the church that have said to me, well, when you get done with this series... Let me know because it doesn't apply to me. I don't have problems or addictions, and so then I'll come back to church. And the truth of this is that I believe that this can apply to us in all areas of our life. Whether it's addictions or not, or our marriage, or our relationship with our children, but even our walk with the Lord. These words, these principles, these steps we've been talking about can apply to all things. And hopefully we understand that the goal of this is to help break the chains that are holding us, that are keeping us back from everything that the Lord has for us. Hopefully, that we start to have not sympathy, but empathy for other people who are struggling with things in their life, whatever that is. And we can say drugs or alcohol, but it might be anger or any of the areas that are destroying their life. And hopefully we have some tools to help other people. Now, we're going to talk about this more today. Unless they have the desire to change, the want to change, you can't force that upon them. But we need to be proved workmen of God, as Scripture says, ready to give an answer when asked. And so to be able to hand some tools off, even elk hunting this last week, I've had several opportunities when they found out that I was the pastor, which, I mean, first blows them away. First, they have to, you know, apologize for their language, and then... Like, I've never heard any of that language. And then they, you know, they get to know me, and there's a lot of questions that are asked. And to have answers when people are asking you about questions of life. As we've talked, and we've talked about this many times, that addictions can fall into many different categories. There are both conscious and unconscious obsessions that we have. And they are not always the bad things of the world. I want us to take that away from this series. Sometimes... Like I've used the example of exercise. It can be a good thing, but if it's controlling our life, it becomes an addiction. And what is an addiction in my life may not be an addiction in yours. Of course, we've talked about the definition of what addiction is, and it's being unable to stop. Even when you recognize that it's destroying your life and those around you, you cannot stop, you believe. An addiction is a pattern of behavior that you've developed to deal with your hurt in an unhealthy way. And really the bottom line is that it's a choice, though. 
As I said before, a lot of times it's our conditioning, it's our chromosomes that lead to this, but ultimately it's the last one. It's the choice to get into it and it leads to bondage. And <clears throat> as I've said over and over again, we're trying to deal with the root, not the fruit of the problem, because the fruit is the addiction. The root is there's something else in your life that needs to change. So let's go through these. Okay, help me out. What's the first, the first thing up here? We've got the chair, we got the rope, we got the checklist, we got the U sign. Better turn like that. The mask, the mirror. What's the first one? The first one is the mirror, and it is one word, and it's what? Admit, that's the first step. Before you start any of the other steps, you've got to admit in your life that there are some problems. Your life has got to the point where you cannot manage it by yourself any longer. And that's a hard thing to do, is to look in the mirror and go, wow, this doesn't look good. And I'm admitting, I'm looking in the mirror, I'm turning on this 10,000 watt light bulb, and it's just, everything there that's a problem is exposed right now. And I'm not maybe able to handle it all at one time, but I'm like, whoa, but there's some problems there. So the first one is to admit. What's the second thing up here? The chair, and the chair is to believe. After you admit that you have a problem, then the second step is that you believe. You've came to believe that there is a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. We look in the mirror and we say, there are some things in my life that have got to change. And the second thing is the chair. And we sit in it. We believe, we trust in God for maybe the first time in our life. Maybe we've been to church our whole life, we've called ourselves a Christian, but we sit down in the chair and we believe that God has the power to hold us up. He has the power to change our life. So we've got admit, believe. What's the next thing up here? The rope, and that is to release. We admit, we believe, and then we release. We have been fighting the Lord so much in our life, and we are trying to pull our own way. We want things as we've always had them, and that's not working. And we decide that we're going to have to let go of the rope we're going to have to release our life to the Lord because we've admitted there's a problem, we've believed in Him, and now we need to let go and release. So what's the next one? The clipboard, and that is what? Inventory. We look at our lives, and then we do this inventory, and we say, there are some things in my life when I looked in the mirror... Man, I didn't like that, but it exposed it. And I'm going to do an inventory because there's some good things in my life that I need to keep and there's some things that I need to get rid of. And so it's going through the junk closet of your life, so to speak, and we put one pile over here of good stuff and one pile of bad stuff. And we've done this inventory and we say, now I'm going to get rid of this bad stuff, this junk that's in my life. So then we've got what up here? We've got the mask. And that is one word, and that is confess. That is after we went through this closet, we went through this junk, that we realize that we are living this life of hypocrisy. That means that we're playing an actor. We want people to see this, but underneath we're really hurting, and we start to deal with, we confess this stuff. 
hopefully to another person that we can trust, hopefully to somebody who's been there, done that, that can help us, somebody that's going to give us some good advice. And not that they're there to hammer on us, they're there to listen to us when we call our junk, junk. Because we've already admitted it now, hopefully, but now we're telling somebody else this is a junk pile. And then we have what we had last week, and that is, of course, what? The U sign. And that is one thing, one word, one idea, and that is what? Turn. To turn. Once we've realized in our life that this stuff is a problem, it's an issue, we've confessed it to somebody else, now we need to repent, to turn. And we're going to start turning from it in our life. We have to make a mental decision that I'm going to turn from these issues in my life. And we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of our character. And as I said last week, this is a U-turn. We're doing a 180 degree turn. We're turning from this thing in our life and we're going the opposite direction. And it's really what's taking place even in this step this week is a change that begins on the inside. As Romans says in Romans 12, 2, we're not being transformed by the world, but we're being conformed, changed from the inside. And then that leads to step seven this week, which is remove. This week is remove. We've turned and then we're removing. And it's a scalpel this week. This week it's a scalpel. And it's the transformation and purification of our character. And we're going to look at the familiar verse in 1 John 1, 9. But as we start out this morning, I want to ask you a question. How many of you here would do major surgery on yourself? Now, yeah, Kyle, I knew Kyle was going to raise his hand, Kyle and Shane. It's kind of funny because my wife goes through my PowerPoints and she proofreads them. And this came up and she didn't understand the context of what I was going to talk about. She goes, don't say this. People besides you do not do major surgery on themselves. Like, I was asking you, why don't you? I do major surgery on myself, but that's because of one reason. I'm cheap, okay? <laughs> I'm very cheap. But let's say that you found out you had colon cancer, and it needed to be removed, that you need to have maybe six inches of your you know, colon removed. But you go, okay, well, I'm glad I got that information. I've got my own scalpel. I guess I'll work on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to start to cut yourself open and start to work on yourself. Now, I have a friend who kind of thinks of himself as being a doctor wannabe. He practices sutures all the time. And he's always begging me, can I sew you up sometime? Now, I'm probably going to let him do it at some point, but he lives an hour and a half away. I told him, how, you, how am I going to get to you? And he said, I'll meet you halfway. He carries a suture kit with him. <clears throat> now, he had an opportunity to work on himself. Uh, he went to open a barbed wire fence gate. It was a brand new gate, so the barbs were very sharp. Somehow in this process, he, he threw it behind him, and it flipped up, caught him in the rear end, and it split his leg down. He said he had an eight-inch gash really on his rear. And so he's like, this is my opportunity. <laughs> so he was laying down trying to sew up his rear, and his wife was going, let's just take you to the emergency. 
He said, no, I'm, I, this is my deal. This is what I do. I practice it. But he couldn't do it because he was trying to sew up his own rear. It was pretty hard to do. So he had to quit, and they took him to the emergency room, and the doctor said, who, who started this? <laughs> and he said, well, I did. And he said, it's pretty good. And he's like, thank you, but I couldn't finish it because I couldn't see back there. It's hard to do surgery on yourself. We don't want to start to cut into our gut to start to remove some intestine because, number one, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, you can get on the internet and check it out, but it's still going to be, what? Incision here, gut out here. You don't know what you're doing. The second thing is, like my friend found out, he doesn't use any anesthetic, he just sews you back up. I've tried that before, that hurts. It's painful. We don't know what we're doing, it's painful, and sometimes, like with my friend, you can't even see what you're doing. You don't even know what you're doing, you can't even see it. And so it's insanity absolutely insanity to do major, and I'm saying major surgery, because I do minor surgery at home. It's insanity to try to fix herself. And this is step seven here. This is what's going on here. Now we are turning over the scalpel. We're handing it to God, and we're saying, okay God, I've admitted, I've believed, I've released this to you, not completely, I need to do some more releasing. And now I've done inventory of my life, I've confessed that to somebody else, I've turned from this, I understand I, now I'm agreeing with you, but there are some things that now, now, this is where it gets serious, that need to be removed. And so that is the seventh step, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. And that is handing over the scalpel. Handing it over, saying, I don't know what I'm doing for the surgery. I thought I did, but I don't. I don't know how to remove this stuff. Every week we've had the other side of the steps, the 12 steps to be totally and completely insane. And this step seven demanded that others shape up or ship out. Demanded that others get their stuff right. And that is insanity. So this is the work of step seven. It is surgery. That is the, the work of step seven. And by definition, surgery is treatment of injuries or disorders of the body by incision, involving the removal or the replacement of disease, or disease organ, or tissue. Another definition is the skill or work of a surgeon. And so now we've got to the point where we're saying, God, you need to remove some things in my life. You need to change some things that are not healthy. You need to remove them. I can't do it. I don't know what I'm doing. It's too painful. So I'm having to allow somebody else to do it. And it really comes down to two words, and that is to remove and heal. To remove and heal. Hopefully you're removing this diseased, whatever it is in your life, like a cancer or an organ that has quit, and you're removing it. But the goal is healing. 
you're going to heal after you remove whatever this is in your life that is causing this problem. And so that gets us to our verse today. 1 John 1.9, John says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now as we look at this verse, it's conditional here. The word if sets a condition for something to take place. If we confess our sins, if we confess them, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. So if we're saying, God, you know what? I got some problems. I got some issues. I need some surgery, but I don't know how to do it. But this is what's wrong. I now know it. Done the inventory. I've confessed it to somebody else. And now I realize that I need to turn from it. But geez, I'm having a hard time turning from it, Lord. I need you to remove it from me. He says, if we confess... It defines what needs to happen in order for the next thing to take place, and that is the cleansing, the removing. He says, if you confess it, then I will cleanse it. And God goes into action when we come before him. I'm going to speak about this in a little bit. But God says, first I need you to be on board. Now think of that. This is God Almighty who created the universe with one spoken word, and he says, I want to work in your life. I want to remove this, but there's a condition here. And this condition rests on you. You have to confess. You have to be willing to be on board. You have to be willing to agree with me at this point for me to do the next thing, which is to remove it. So as we prepare for this step seven, there are three words that we're going to talk about today. This is how we're preparing for this surgery. And the first one is humility. The first thing before we go into this surgery for him to remove this is humility. And that is that we admit that we are lost. And we're humbly asking God for some help. Have you ever been really sick or been in a situation where you have to ask for help? I mean, you cannot help yourself at all. It's humbling. It's very humbling. And we are at the point where we say, I, I can't do this surgery. I, I have an idea now what needs to be removed. But I cannot remove it myself. Can't do it alone. And a lot of times we think of humility as being, oh, poor me, I got these issues in my life, I'm worse than everybody else. Darn it, shucks. That's not humility. True humility is seeing yourself, biblical humility is seeing yourself as the way that God sees you. And we are unable to do this surgery in our life, but God is able. And that means that we are giving up more control to God and we release our control and allow God to do what he needs to do. We're not laying on the surgery table and telling him, I think you need to do this and you think you need to do that. Excuse me, did you go to medical school? Well, no, but I have the internet and a medical encyclopedia. 
Have you, how many surgeries have you done? Well, none, but did I tell you I read the internet? You don't know. Let me do what I need to do. It's not telling God how to do it. Because when you ask someone to do something for you, something that you cannot do for yourself, you cannot expect to control how they do it. Don't we do that as human beings? We don't know what we're doing. We ask for help and then we tell people how to do it. It might be even traveling in the vehicle. You don't know how to get there, but then you're telling them how to get there. You don't know where you're going. That's why I'm driving. Perfect example of that this week, we had a guy at the uh, elk camp who came from Pennsylvania. His name was Mark. I bet Mark never thought he was going to be a sermon illustration on Sunday. That's what you get from the camp. Mark was a dentist, very intelligent man, but he talked a lot. And when I say somebody talks a lot, they really talk a lot. Man, he had done his research when it came to elk hunting. He never shut up. What the problem was is that Mark knew too much. Now, this was the first time Mark had ever been up there in this area. And the way it's set up is that you have an outfitter, a guide, somebody's going to take you around who's been hunting on that place for years, and they're going to help you. Now, the problem was Mark knew everything, and so he wasn't going to listen to any advice from the young guy. Mark was probably my age, a little bit older. He wasn't going to listen to anything from Wyatt, who was in his 20s, who was an excellent hunter. And so he didn't get an elk either. That was for different reasons. I mean, even on the last night, that the outfitter just told him, pack your stuff up, we're done. I'm done dealing with you. Because you don't seem to want to get an elk. Because he would be whistling, and you know, when you're supposed to be quiet and everything, I don't know how that works in with elk hunting, but, but the problem with Mark is that he knew everything. I'm thinking, why did you come all this way? Why did you spend all this money if you're not going to listen to somebody who knows what's going on? But as I saw Mark, you know what was really wrong with Mark? Uh, Mark felt very inadequate. Uh, I, I would suspect, well, first of all, he had three teenage daughters and a wife at home, so I felt for him and thought, that's why the man is insane. <laughs> I, I had a lot of heart for him when I found that out. I was like, wow, everybody's like, that Mark, is, he's got three teenage daughters. Come on, give the man a break. Mark felt like he was inadequate. Mark was probably a, a guy... A little teeny guy with a really high voice like this. He'd probably been picked on his whole life, and so now this was his chance to kind of shine up there, and he did a little too much, and it was based a lot in pride. Why would you not listen, Mark? And when it comes to humility, I'm going to tell you this story. I was very humbled this week. Don mentioned what happened a week ago. On Sunday night, it's a big, long story. I can give you the extended version, but I'm going to give you the short version. Sunday night, it was getting dark. We were on a mountain. We look over on the other mountain. There was a nice bull elk over there. We ran down. When I say ran, I'm not exaggerating. We ran down a mountain. Okay? Got down to the bottom. That elk was up the draw, and he was 560 eight yards up there 
And so this was my shot. I pulled out my bipod. I laid down. I mean, I'm telling you, it's straight up. You 568 yards straight up like this, okay? I'm laying flat even to get up that high. Took the shot, uh, hit him, saw him turn and, and crash down. Now, it was almost getting dark. Did I tell you it was 568 yards? Okay, I told you that part. And it was dark, and I was tired through the brush, crosswind, you know. And I'm old. Thanks, Julie. And I'm old. Hit the elk. Now we have to get out of here because it's getting dark. And Don looked at me and said, thank goodness you have your flashlight. And I said, I don't. It's laying in the seat of the pickup. And I said, do you have yours? And he said, no. It's getting dark on the side of the mountain. So now it's not just a race to get the elk. It's a race to get out of there before it gets dark. And so we were going up this mountain, fighting time. And I tell you, my girls watched the show, I Survived. You ever seen this show? This is a show, it's a real life you know, story show of people that are put in a situation, they're playing crashes you know, in, in the mountains and they walk out 100 miles. I kind of pride myself on being tough. And I tell the girls, I could do that. I found out I would be on the show called I Died. How did I survive? Because I pride myself on being pretty tough. I can take a beating, people. I know it. And we started going up that mountain, and I was shot. Now, I had 50 pounds, probably 40-pound pack on, and I'm carrying a 15-pound rifle that's this long, okay, with bipod scope and all my other stuff. Man, I, I, it was, I was done. Branch hit me in the nose. My nose started bleeding. And so now I have blood running on my nose. We're climbing, trying to beat the sun going down because no flashlight. We're trying to climb out of here. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, it got dark and we're pushing against the brush and you feel like you can't push anymore, so then you got to back up. And so my face is bleeding from being tore up. My nose is bleeding. Now, this is fun. This is what we go do for fun. <laughs> the good thing is that we had the radio. And so Don called in for some help. And those guys were all back because it was dark. They'd been back. They're all, you know, miles away off the mountain down at camp. And they said they were just glued to the radio because when Don called for help, it was like at first, okay, it's getting dark. We, we don't have a flashlight. And then the last one was, help! <laughs> oh, I'm dying up here! We couldn't go any farther. It was too dark. It was pitch dark. And as I laid there on my hands and knees and the blood was running out of my mouth and my nose, I couldn't see it, but I could taste it. It was just running out. And I could hear it hitting the, hitting the ground. Uh, I, I, I've never been that shot in my life. I mean, I've never been. It, we tried as hard as we could to get out. We, we, we did. And I didn't care about the elk at that point and getting to him. Um, and anyway, um, because of the radio, um, they were able to come down and find us. Levon's son, Dale Weber, was one of the first ones that came down there. He was hunting with us. And when he came down and I saw those lights, I have never been so glad to see anybody in my life. You know, when Dale got to me, I gave the man a hug. And you know me, hug, I don't hug my wife even. <laughs> you know, I don't swing that way, you know, hugging another man. I don't touch him. <laughs> I hugged that man. I hugged him hard. And he was like, I don't swing. I said, I know, but 
What happens at Elk Camp stays at Elk Camp. Man. And then Dale said to me, he said, now give me your gun and your pack. Give it to me. And you know what I said to him? No. No, you're not, no, I'm walking out of here. Now he didn't have his gun and pack because it was this rescue mode they were in. And he said, give it to me. And I said, no. I said, I'm not any girl, I'm walking out of here. And Don said, Dale, take it from me. And so Dale just <laughs> yanked it out of my hand. And I gave him my pack. Because I couldn't walk another step. He told us it was only about 400 yards in the dark to get up to the clearing. He lied so bad. And we walked out of there that night. We got out of there. Now, I, we would have survived up there uh, because I had a, my Zippo lighter and we could have made a fire and I don't know, it would have been rough, but we, we would have made it through it that night. But I knew it was going to be a long night at that point. But what I'm getting to with the humility is, can you believe that with myself? I mean, I, I surprised myself. I learned things about myself. Here I was. I'm shot. Everybody knows I'm done. They heard it on the radio. They probably heard me crying in the background. <laughs> it was humiliating. And I think, no, I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to carry my pack and gun. And I was done. And this is where it gets to in our life, where we need to say, I am so absolutely shot and done. I can't take another step. I can't get going on in my life. Here's my pack. Here's my gun. I don't care what you think of me. I don't care at this point, because we all know what shape I'm in. Look at my face. And we hold on to that. I can do this. I can do this. The result is going to be your destruction if you think that you're going to be able to hold on to it. And we pride ourselves on it. And God says in 1 Peter 5, I thought of this. I tell you not, people, I thought of this when I was up there. God says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And God says, you know what? I cannot help you one bit until you start handed over and you have to humble yourself. You can keep on holding on to it with your pride, you tough guy. But I see you as you are. I'm, I'm not disappointed in you. I just want to help you. So the first thing is humility when it comes to this. The second thing, the second word is desire. And desire is to wish or long for a want, a request, or petition. And I've spoke about this before, quickly. In John chapter 5, verse 6, when Jesus saw this disabled man who was at this pool at Bethsaida, and he'd been in this bad condition, he was disabled for 38 years, Scripture says, Jesus asked him one question. He says, do you want to get well? That has always bugged me. I don't know why when I read that the first time. Because that seems like a real stupid question. The guy's been dealing with pain, physical pain, for 38 years, and Jesus asked this question, do you want to get well? Like my girls say, you know, no, duh. As they roll their eyes in the back of their head. No, duh, Jesus, I want to get well. But what Jesus is asking him is, you have to have the desire. 
I will heal you, but you have to have the desire. And I see it all the time because, you know, you'll have a spouse that will drag, you know, maybe a woman drag her husband into that office over there for marriage counseling. And he will say, I, I have no desire to change. I don't think anything's wrong with their marriage. Maybe there's some problems in our marriage, but I'm not doing anything different. And she's like, look, fix him. He does not have the desire. He does not want to change at this point. Because most people want a temporary relief rather than a permanent solution. So God says, you need to humble yourself. You need to cast that over to me. Give it to me to carry. I will carry it. But you've got to have the desire also to want to change. And the third one is prayer. We need to have humility. We need to have desire. But we need to have prayer in our life. And praying for God to remove these shortcomings one defect at a time. I didn't, I didn't like to call it a defect, but you know what I'm talking about. This stuff in our life. And God says, I will remove it one defect, one issue at a time. And when we're asking God, I believe through Scripture, this is biblical, it's not a general prayer and going, God, just fix me. Just, just deal with everything in my life. I'm going to be over here. He says, I have asked you to do an inventory of your life. I've asked you to confess that. I've asked you to turn from it. I want you to be specific. I will deal with that issue when you are willing to deal with it specifically. I think partly he does that because we couldn't handle it all at one time. We couldn't deal with it all at one If he would come in there and go, okay, you said to deal with it all at one time, and he would completely remove it, we would just fall to the ground dead. It would be too much surgery at one time. And he says, I need to remove a little bit at a time. It's not this general prayer, this package deal prayer. It's humbly praying that God will remove each of the issues in our life that we have been exposed to, they've been revealed in the four-step of the inventory. And it's a process. It took time to get ill. It's going to take time to be healed. And so people get frustrated. They're like, geez, I, I put my faith in the Lord. I'm trusting in Him. I'm, I'm going to counseling. I'm doing this stuff or whatever it is. And we say, it should be removed. It takes time to heal. Even after it's removed, it takes time to heal. And that is why that God says, I want you to start working on the easier things in your life first so that you build up some confidence and strength. And then we're going to move on. So those are the preparations words. Humility, desire, and prayer. I want to read this to you, and I don't know who to give credit to. I've tried to look it up on the internet. It's called Paradox of Prayer. And so when it comes to prayer, I feel like this a lot in my life. It says, I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humility to obey, humbly to obey. I asked for help that I might do greater things. I was given affirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I had hoped for. 
Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all most richly blessed. Uh, I had an opportunity to share with a young man who's in his 20s and who went with us on the elk hunting trip. And uh, he got an earful 12-hour ride back. And I mean, he got, I, I wasn't trying to give him both barrels because I was exhausted. But he kept asking, asking about my life and the hope that I have about marriage, about a whole bunch of different things. And he said, it just really is bad that you didn't get an elk. He's like, man, I feel bad for you. I can't believe it. Now, let me tell you this little story here. It, it, it's after the hunting week. I got to tell these stories. It, only 50% of the guys at the camp got elk. Okay? Most of the time, they run 100%. Um, I knew when we went up there, because this has happened to me before when we went hunting, that they would say it's the worst hunting that they've ever seen, ever. I'm like the Jonah of hunting. Because my friends laugh about it when we went down to Texas. I mean, it always happens. So I, was, I, just, I don't tell them that because I don't want thrown out of the boat. But anyway, there was one guy that took, I kid you not, I mean, most of the time I'm just completely lying to you, but this is the truth. <laughs> he took over 15 shots, 17 shots at his elk. It was laying down, like, I guess, sleeping. He shot at it, and he was three foot high. He shot over here at the rock. He's sighting at his rifle while he's hunting. Shot back at the elk, still two foot high. Shot back at the rock. He walked off the mountain, got 200 yards from this elk, who was still laying down, and shot him. That's never going to happen for me. I'd get down there 200 yards, he'd charge me, run me over, kill me. I'm going, my goodness, that was easy. Except for the, you know, 15 shots that he shot off. The other guy that went with us, they just drove out on the flat. Drove. Drove. One was standing there. He got out with his rifle. Click. No bullets in it. <laughs> and the elk was going, right here. <laughs> Take your time. What are you shooting? It's going to hurt. <laughs> I tell you, mine was 568 yards uphill. <laughs> and he said to me, I cannot believe you didn't get an elk. And I told him, Drew, you know what? It's not about the elk. It's about the journey. It's all about the journey. That's what I don't ever learn, I don't think. I think that's what God was trying to tell me this week. I always focus on, man, bringing a big bull elk home. That's what our focus is most of the time in life. My life's never been about that. My life is about the journey, getting there. Everybody said, man, you, just, you guys hunted hard. Like 28 miles we walked off the mountains. 28 miles in a week. And I learned. I learned to be a better hunter. I learned to be a better husband. I learned to be a better father. I learned things about my relationship with the Lord this week. Some major things. I was humbled hard. You know, I mean, it was a physical thing, but it, it, it struck clear down inside of me. You know, 
still trying to filter everything through. I haven't had time. But that's the paradox of prayer. And God says, I, I wanted you to be humble. So as we end this and we're talking about removing and being in this step seven, God, our great physician, has some terms. Just like surgeons do, he has some terms. And for us to get well, we have to listen to his terms. You know, I don't do this very well. When I've had surgery done, they say, stay off your leg for six weeks. I go, okay. And I always tell my wife, that's what they have to tell you for liability reasons. I was off of it for six hours. It'll be just fine. I learned from that that I've got pins and screws all in this leg. And when you're doing 28 miles up mountains, that starts to talk to you a little bit. I wish I'd listened to the surgeon. And one of those terms is that we must place ourselves in the community of his people. That's the church. I'm more convinced of this all the time. It's not perfect, the church isn't. It's not perfect. I'm not perfect as being the pastor. But the thing is, God says, I use people as my instruments for surgery. Whether that's Christian counselors, or that's your Christian family, or your Christian friends, or even, you know, in the church. Somebody you don't even know is a stranger to you and you say, Lord has just led me to confess to you. To, I want to talk to you. I need some help in my life. And God says, I use people as my instruments. That's one of my requirements. And you know this, like surgery, it will come with some pain. It's going to hurt. That's a guarantee. And it's going to come with some difficulties. That's also a guarantee. When I have had my surgery, especially in my tonsil surgery, when I had that removed and the science surgery done all at the same time, wow, that was intense. Terrible pain. Two days into it, I'm thinking, I made a mistake. Now, all I had to do, I had to get through that pain, and it was going to be healing. It was going to be better. But at the time, it seemed like it was the wrong decision. But the bottom line is here, it's worth it. And we will find healing. That's the only place we are going to find healing. Because if we try to do it ourselves, we're going to mess it up. So this is the heart condition prayer. It's saying, my creator, because he created us, he knows us. I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and to others close to me. <clears throat> Grant me the strength to go through this change. I'm ready. I want to be healed. Amen. And so this is a question I leave you with. You need to ask yourself, do I really want to be healed from this affliction? Because this step right here is going to bridge us off into the next step. If you think you already know what you need to do and you got it figured out and you can be your own surgeon, even though that you don't know what you're doing, you've never been there, you've never done it. If you think that, fine. Keep going on the same program and that's insanity because insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. Or you get to the point where you say, I'm at the point in my life where I know I've admitted that I need to deal with this stuff. And I'm asking God to remove it. I'm saying, God, I want you, I am willing, I have the desire, I have humbled myself, and now I'm praying to you and saying, God, I want you to start to remove this from me. 
But that means you need to be in the presence of instruments that God is going to be able to use to help you remove that stuff. He will speak to you through His Spirit. He will speak to you through His Word. I'm not trying to minimize those, but He is going to use people, His instruments, to help you, to help you remove those issues in your life. Let's close the word of prayer. Lord, you know us as people, Lord. Um, we think that we are a lot of times something. And we are entrenched in a lot of pride. And we think we can do it ourselves, especially in this Western culture we live in. We don't need anybody else because we're going to carry our own pack and gun out, so to speak. And Lord, you put us in situations in our life where we have to admit that uh, we have no idea what we're doing. We have no strength. We can't keep going on. And we get very fearful in those positions because uh, we want to be able to take care of ourselves. It's, it's humbling. And Lord, that's the best place for us to be. I pray that we would realize that. So when we turn it over to you and say, I can't do this any longer. I don't know how to remove this. I thought I did. I'm having to humble myself. But Lord, I pray that this is removed. I have the desire. Lord, that is when you start to work in our life the most. And it amazes me as people that we can still hold on to our pride and, and our own self-will. And even you, being God Almighty, you, you cannot pull that away from us until we are ready. Yes, you can bring about circumstances. You can, you can try to bring us to our knees. But if we keep fighting you, we can keep doing it. And so, Lord, I pray that we just hand over to you and say, I have the desire for you to remove whatever it is in my life. Lord, we just give you thanks that uh, in that, that you're changing, purifying our character to make us more like your son. And in that, Lord, that we realize that that is true life. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.